Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside running or riding or something to that effect, I'm probably inside writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk to all types of different movers and athletes and coaches uh, about the, the different types of movements they, they do or study and how we can apply that back to our lives is the takeaway. Uh, that that was maybe not our, our best intro, but pretty, it's okay. pretty good. But that's what we're aiming for. And so we, we have all sorts of different people uh, from, you know, organizations and races. And that's today, mm-hmm. right? We have mostly discussions of races. Yeah, we have races, uh, race promoters and racers on today's podcast. But first up, we've had a pretty busy couple weeks. I raced a 50K, just like a fun local one in New Jersey. and Trail running. Trail running, yeah. yeah. And super excited. It was my first uh, overall win where I actually beat the dudes, Beat all too. the men. Yeah. Very Yay. good. Very good. Uh, so that was super, super, super fun. Really cool event uh, called the Wildcat Ridge Romp in New Jersey. So it was a very hometown race for me. And yeah, beautiful day. Really fun single track. It was a looped course. And it turns out I really like looped courses. I feel like this is not a surprise for anyone who's run or ridden with me. But I found it was really easy to, uh, you know, once you got the first 10-mile loop done, it was kind of easy to get through the second. And I'm not going to lie, the third was a little little exhausting. But it was great kind of knowing what was coming and not really being nervous and being like, oh, okay, I know I'm going to miss the bridge again, and I need to make sure that I take that right turn. And, right. you know, I know, okay, there's going to be three really steep little popper climbs that are going to hurt, but I know, you know, the last mile or two miles isn't going to be that bad. So it was, you know, really fun to be able to kind of practice my pacing a little bit more than I necessarily would on a course I didn't know. Right. Yeah, it definitely helps. You know, you can compare even for pacing. I know for with coaching, it's, it's nice when people do lapped base races because we sort of have this built-in comparison of how did we pace and uh, how did the race sort of evolve? Yeah. Um, and then there's also the technical piece, right? Like you, even in running, you know, you can send it a little harder on descents once you know sort of what's coming. And like you say, with slippery bridges and so forth. Yeah, I was really excited because at the end, the race director uh, looked at my times and he was, he was super stoked because my laps differed by, I think, two minutes a lap. But it was always within that two minutes. So that nice. was that was really exciting. So yeah, super, super fun race, really well run. Uh, you know, small, but super well run. So really stoked on that. I got to go down to Virginia Beach for a few days, do some some good work down there, get in some nice chill runs and walks. And I attempted to surf a couple times that did not go super well. I, I get really embarrassed about surfing in front of people because I'm terrible. So I kept trying to go out at like six in the morning, but it's not, you know, with surfing, you're kind of trying to go at the best tide not the best time so i kept showing up when there were no waves right uh but you know i tried well i guess you were in the water yeah that's that's something i swam a bunch i did yoga on the beach it was great nice yeah and then i was at the uh pennsylvania nika so the uh, u.s's high school mountain bike league had a girls camp their grit camp this past week and I got to show up for a couple days and hang out with 45 amazing young women and ride with them and hang out and practice handstands on the lawn and just so much fun stuff. Yeah, it's great. Really good organization there doing 
some good stuff, getting people out having fun on bikes and moving. Yes, and of course the topic of back to school shopping came up a bunch and that inspired me to uh, put up a couple of new colorways and styles over on the Shred Girls shop page. So that's shred-girls.com slash shop and you can get some you know, uh, I made some Ride Bikes Get Rad beach towels. I've been using one for the last couple months and it's actually a really nice beach towel, I'm not gonna lie. And it's kind of perfect whether you're, you know, racing cyclocross and you need to be able to wipe some mud off after the races or you have some beach trips coming up or you're heading to college and you want a towel for, you know, from the dorm to the shower kind of situation that still is, you know, really speaks to you. Right. <laughs> Why so, aligned with your your pursuits and yeah so forth. exactly yeah. so definitely check that out and nice. peter what have you been up to uh busy week with cyclocross is sort of starting here as far as people wanting to get excited and do dismounts and stuff so we i had a couple of clinics last week a couple of one-on-one sessions which is good uh and then went right into st- mountain bike stage race which was pretty wild going from like raced last weekend uh cross country short sort of hard race and then right into clinics basically all week traveling up north and then racing three-day stage race uh crank the shield which was really good uh very hard and then driving all the way back home last night so yeah we were kind of driving from like south and north heading towards the same destination yeah but it was good really good like mountain bike stage racing is just like going to summer camp and yeah so really cool met a lot of cool people got to do a little talk one night which seemed to go over okay uh which was good uh and yeah just really good old friends new friends like people like connected by several uh what's that like degrees uh, yeah of, of people so it's sort of neat really really good weekend so i like that because it leads really neatly into today's guests because the first one we have is the coo of the colorado classic lucy diaz and for those of you who haven't heard about the colorado classic it's a I think it's three-day bike race that goes on in Colorado, obviously. Uh, it's been going for a couple years now, but this year is super special because they're actually doing just women's field, uh, which is pretty amazing. I can't actually think of another race that does the same, where it's just complete priority is the women racers. It's going to be amazing. It's on actually later this week, so you can find out all about how to tune in and check it out. They're going to be live streaming the whole thing. It's really exciting. So this week is, what are we? It'll be like the week of August 19th? I believe it starts on the 22nd, this Thursday. Of 2019, okay. Yeah, so very exciting. And then we have Juliet Elliott, who, as you listed this week, you're like cross country, cyclocross, mountain bike stage race. Uh, Juliet would look at that schedule and just be like, that's nothing. She has done every kind of bike racing, you know, from fixed gear crits to enduro mountain bike racing to a little bit of dirt jumping. She's gotten really into bike packing this summer. Um, if you follow her adventures on her website, Bikes and Stuff, she does a ton of really great YouTube videos around it. She was kind of one of the first, I'll say, uh, cycling YouTubers out there, and her content is amazing. So it was really exciting to kind of get to chat with her about what it means to be a, I'm going to call it multidisciplinary cyclist. Uh, And we get some tips on kind of all of the different disciplines that she does. We talk about how she fuels her training, how she balances all of it between family and work and actually staying, you know, in shape to do all of these different disciplines. So I think we could call her the consummate cyclist for sure. Nice. Yeah, sounds like she fits the mold for sure. And she even snuck in a few CrossFit workouts, too. So she's kind of all over the place. Nice. All right, let's dive in. Enjoy this conversation with Juliet Elliott. 
But first, we'll hear from Lucy Diaz about the Colorado Classic. The Colorado Classic is, you know, we started in 2017. And really, our vision from day one was to look at the sport of cycling and, and road cycling specifically and look at it in a different way and really trying to create a model that drives sustainability. Um, you know, particularly here in Colorado, we've had a lot of, you know, our, our history and, you know, the, the events of the past have been prolific from the Course Classic to the Red Zinger and then more recently with the U.S. Pro Challenge. Um, and cycling in Colorado really go hand in hand, you know, from a competitive perspective, from a lifestyle, from off-road, from everything. You know, it, it is such part of the culture and the community here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So as we started Colorado Classic in year one, 2017, we said, okay, well, well let's do this, but let's do this a little bit differently. And it would be lying if I told you, um, you can look through our history of what we've done, and I'll walk through that here in a second. Um, you know, we've, we're trying to figure out what works and, and what makes a difference and really what is something that we're proud of and that the community can get behind. Um, and, you know, you even just said it, the, that, you know, you're not necessarily interested in road cycling. And that's, that's a pretty, you know, common uh, response that we get from people. Yeah. But, you know, how do we create an event and how do we create a road cycling event specifically that engages the community, that brings fans out, and that really, um, you know, lives on year after year. So our first iteration in 2017, um, you know, we took down the duration of the event. We, we brought it down from traditionally, and you know, what Pro Challenge had done was, you know, about a seven-day event. Um, and we brought it down to four days. And we brought it down to four days, and, and we shortened the routes themselves, not in duration, but just in distance. And we did had multiple loops. So the, what we were doing there was really trying to get, you know, create a hub around the start-finish line, have a similar, you know, a shared start-finish line. So people can come and watch the start, they can go to the expo, then they can, um, you know, be around for the finish. So it was really, you know, as we took a step back and we looked at the model, you know, we tried a lot of different things. We tried a music festival with it. We did, you know, four days of racing, four days of men, two days of women, you know, four days of women, four days of men. And really, as we look towards 2019, and we've had great, you know, we've had great momentum and we've had great event to build on, but we just felt that we hadn't really figured it out yet. And we really didn't have a model that we were all aligned on and proud of. And it's not even alignment. It's just, and it's not even pride, really. It's, it's really about something that, you know, something that's different, something that makes a difference and something that, that the community is going to embrace. So, you know, we, we looked at it and we looked kind of all, at all the different angles. And as we decided uh, for what 2019 would be, um, we just kept going back to this concept of, well, what about the women? You know, the women's side of the sport is so underserved. The women's side of a lot of sports are so underserved. But Amen. Cycling. And, <laughs> yeah, right? Right? Um, but, you know, road cycling particularly is really this, um, it's such a, you know, disproportionate model. And I mean, everybody knows about the Tour de France and, you know, the teams that are competing in the Tour de France on the men's side is, you know, the top teams are, you know, the average teams are, you know, their team budgets are $17 million, right? That's crazy because the women's team budgets average 200000 So it's like, it's not even in the same stratosphere as far as I'm concerned mm-hmm. as it relates to support. And, you know, that's, there's no one reason for that. I mean, the, the men's sport is so much farther developed than the women's sport, but that's what, that's really what we looked at. And that's where we saw is, is 
nothing but opportunity. And really, if we can be a, a catalyst for change within the sport, within the women's side of the sport, and create a model, an event model, that brings in the elements that the women want, and quite honestly, that the women need to continue to grow and continue to stay committed and focused on the growth of the sport. And, you know, have UCI take notice, the governing body, have sponsors, you know, have USA Cycling, have all the parties that are involved really stop and think, wow, this this is a viable model. This is a sustainable model. This is something that we need to focus on. And everyone's doing, I mean, UCI is talking about it. USA Cycling is talking about women's racing and how we can help propel it forward. So, you know, this is not necessarily nothing, anything new. Um, but I think for us, it's like we really wanted to jumpstart and just be noisy and really be very proud and be very vocal about what we want to do and the change that we can affect as an event. You know, and our vision is we want to be the best women's race in the world in five years. And, you know, we're taking step by step and we've done a lot of interviews and conversations with riders. We've done surveys with the, you know, the women that are riding in the Peloton today and say, what, what is it that you want and what is going to make a difference in your career and, you know, on your team and with your sponsors and all of that. And that, those are the elements that we're pulling together. And, you know, we feel really excited and proud of the events that, gosh, that's happening starting next week. Um, for, for all the riders that are coming and we've had a great outpouring of support, not only from, you know, the rider community, but from the, the community in Colorado and beyond, you know, from the business community, from the sponsorship community and people really coming together and seeing and, and understanding and seeing our vision um, of, again, what an event can do to drive uh, change and to propel the sport forward. So we're really excited about that. And, you know, it's, it is, again, it, it all comes back to opportunity. And the men have, you know, three times as many days to race in a year than the women do. Um, so let's create these four days here in Colorado, something that we can build upon and we can continue to push the limits and improve year after year. Oh, I love that. I think that's, it's so smart. And it's, it's such a great time, I think, to be a woman in cycling, because more and more of these yeah. kind of things are, are coming up. And it's, it's so awesome to see. Um, so mm -hmm. it's you. coming, it's coming up. It's by the time this mm -hmm. podcast airs, it's only going to be a couple of days away. So first of all, talk about the, the pledge for women's cycling that you guys have on the website with the hashtag we ride. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's something, again, when we were in the planning process and throughout the whole, um, you know, the past year, really, of, of sculpting the Colorado Classic and what it's going to be, um, we felt that it was important to really um, use our platform and unite our community um, and educate our community around, really, the disparity in sport. And um, that's what the pledge is all about. And the pledge is saying, you know, we believe that women's cycling deserves more. And we believe that, you know, again, all women's sports deserve more. But it really was an awareness, um, you know, outreach and tactic to say, this is what's happening in the sport of cycling, right? And, and we have our opinions on it, and we're not pushing our opinions on anybody else. Um, but we want people to understand and the communities to understand that there is this disparity between sport. And together, we can br help to bridge this gap. And, you know, that comes in a lot of different forms. So, you know, having the pledge and having our platform and asking people to, you know, be a part of it 
it's and be a part of the solution because you know one of the problems is lack of viewership and lack of you know um, attendance at events. So if we can make um, you know the communities aware to come out and watch, come out and watch the race if you're here in Colorado, tune in to our live stream of the race. Um, and show your support for women's cycling. And the pledge was a great entry point to that, you know, awareness and then engagement around it. And it's been wildly successful. And, you know, the riders have appreciated it. And it's, it's really this, this moment of codification within the sport and, again, within all sports and of all ages. And, you know, I, and I use it personally as a way to talk to my kids. I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. <laughs> my poor kids, they, they, they hear this all the time. You know, it's, it's like when mom takes work home, God, this is what's happening. But, you know, my son came up to me the other day and he said, mom, is it true that women can do anything that men can do? Oh. And, you know, I was, I it was so sweet and it was so, I was so proud because, you know, he clearly is listening to that. And it's, and, you know, just in society, it's like men do this, women do that. But as a six-year-old, you know, him hearing that message and having that resonate is really powerful. And that was, you know, that was part of pledge. You know, we gave them we have these pledge we ride bracelets and again it's about unity and coming together and um you know all ages all genders all sports you know understanding that it is you know it, it's something powerful if that we support one another you know we can move forward and get better so the pledge has been great and we continue to talk about it and the hashtag we ride has been you know this really powerful um uh you know saying and pledge and moment to to, to uh, really rally around Oh, I love it. And tell everyone how they can, you know, get to the pledge and watch the race. Like, let's talk about the fact that you're actually going to be live streaming the race and people can, you know, finally watch a race happening in, in real life yes, for women. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And that's great. So, you know, to speak to the first point, our website, which is coloradoclassic.com, if you go on there, there's more information. There's actually a pop-up that will um, come out, um, will, will come up. Um, that educates you around the pledge. And it's just, you know, the ask is enter your email, you're part of the, you know, the pledge group, and then we'll be able to push messaging out to you, um, particularly as it relates to the broadcast of the event. So, you know, one of the things when we were doing these interviews and conversations with riders was, what is it that you want, you know, in the race? And, you know, above prize money, and we have a really nice prize purse at $75,000 this year, but above prize money, the response was um, exposure and broadcast of the event. Because unfortunately, a lot of times if there's a men's and a women's event together in cycling, the men's event is telecast and broadcast, but the women's event isn't, right? And again, it's Unfortunately, in the way that the easiest way to understand it is women's events and, and even even in ours we're we're always seen as the plus one to the men's event. So the men's event was the main action, and the women's was an event that happened you know on either side, maybe before the the men's or after the men's race. but right, right. with us going a hundred percent on women and you know obviously dedicating our vision and our our event um to women cyclists. Um, having telecast and having broadcast around the event is so important because if they do this race in Colorado for four days, that's great, but the world doesn't get to see them. Um, so we have committed and worked really hard and the team has done a fantastic job because it's really expensive to produce all this coverage over, you know, 200 plus miles in the backwoods of Colorado in some instances. Um, but the team has done a great job at pulling together um, and really working creatively to be able to capture the race from start to finish every day so for four days of racing um there is one stage there's one portion of the course in um 
steamboat that will not have coverage due to no cell coverage in that area. And that's how we transmit the signal through um, cellular coverage. So, um, but we will, by and large, we will have start to finish um, coverage of the event. And that's so important because not only does it allow us as spectators to watch and follow along on the race with the race, but it allows the teams, um, you know, and their sponsors to have exposure and the teams to be able to really show off, show off what they do, show that off to sponsors, show that off to fans, show that off to their social media um, groups and, and networks and so on and so forth. But um, it, it is such a key element to that. And, you know, we've looked at that and instead of We've done in, in previous instances, we've done time buys on NBC. You know, they, they put you on at 1130 at night on a Sunday, not necessarily the great view uh, time for viewership. So the team has put together a great package where essentially we've created this uh, syndication network and we are pushing the live feed out not only on our website and through our social media channels, but through strategic partners. And quite honestly, they're not all within the, the, the cycling um endemic either. I mean, we are working with Global Cycling Network and Box Women and Velo News, um, but we'll also be, you know, VF Corporation is our title sponsor. They'll they'll be hosting the stream on their um, webpage as well and some of their brands. And um, Visit Denver, who is the, you know, the, the, um, the group here, the tourism group here, who we work very closely with, will have it. Um, the Colorado Tourism will have it on their website. So really for us, it's the more eyeballs we can get this content, this engaging and compelling and exciting content in front of, you know, the better, the better it is for the riders. And quite honestly, the better it is for the sport, um, you know, to get beyond that small niche, you know, group of cycling enthusiasts and, and push this content out beyond. Okay, this is the first question I always ask people who have very multi-hyphenate careers, and that's just if someone comes up to you at a party and doesn't know the cycling industry, has never been to your website, never been to a bike race, uh, what do you what do you say when they say, "Oh, what do you do?" Um, well, that question is hard to answer, even when I am talking to someone who's a cyclist. In fact, <laughs> yeah. someone asked me that um, the other week when I was on a club run with a you know with a cycling club and. One of the guys who kind of knows just looked across at me and laughed, wondering what I was going to say. And I said to those cycling guys, I said, oh, I make I make YouTube videos. That seemed like the simplest thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I guess if I had to expand on that, I'd say, well, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a cyclist. But then I'd say I'm an ambassador. I make YouTube videos and I'm also a journalist. And I mean, I'm a coach as well. But honestly, that's kind of fallen by the wayside. At the moment, I don't have time to pursue coaching. But, um, yeah, so just kind of, um, yeah, an ambassador and vlogger, blogger, journo, I suppose. Yeah, I think we actually probably say very similar things, except I replace YouTube with, yeah, writing books. But similar, yeah, bikes, writing, creating content. (laughs) Yeah, bikes (laughs) Bikes and stuff. Um, Actually, on that note, oh my gosh, everyone should go read your About Me page on bikes and stuff because it's it's long and hilarious and I was just like, <laughs> as I'm going through it again I was just like oh my gosh it's kind of amazing how you went from yeah what pro snowboarder um into where you are now um so I mean you did your first race back in 2015 but you were already working as a bike messenger you'd already been a pro snowboarder how how was that first bike race <laughs> Oh God, so 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 hard. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 
never thought I was really athletic. I didn't, I wasn't like amazing at sports at school. Having said that though, I mean, I guess I did do quite a lot of them. But anyway, <laughs> you, know, like some, you know, like some people are really good at running. When mm-hmm. we had to do cross country, you know, like long distance running and stuff, it just made me want to puke and I hated it and things like that. So I guess I didn't think I was sporty because that's what sports were at school. So you um, got into like the alternative one of snowboarding though. Exactly. Yeah. But then that I didn't, I guess it, I didn't think it was sport, but of course it is. But you know, I didn't think of it that way. And I got into snowboarding and I got into skateboarding. And I suppose the stuff that I ended up liking was more individual and slightly alternative based sports. I, I never got on, uh, sorry, let me close my emails. Um, I never got on particularly with the traditional sports or I hate to say it team sports mm-hmm. um so yeah um my to back to, the, back to your question <laughs> my first bike race was just awful because I used to smoke and I still smoked at the time you know and uh, any training and I totally underestimated how hard it was going to be I do that quite a lot actually I don't know if that's a blessing or or, or a curse but I, I tend to go into things with quite an optimistic um view of how hard it'll be and then um it often isn't but um my first road race no my first road crit I got dropped on the first lap and I rode the, rode the whole thing on my own um oh. I tried I tried a cross race and I, I actually cried um because <laughs> I, I I thought I'd finished and then they tried they sent me on one more lap because you know sometimes across you're not entirely sure how many laps you're gonna have to do mm-hmm. I went all out on what I thought was the last lap and then they said I had to go around again. I got off the bike and I cried. <laughs> um, but then I got back on and I finished the race. Actually, I won that race in the end. But yeah, um, bike racing wasn't something that I immediately found easy, um, but there was something I liked about it. So I just kept going back for more. Uh, apparently, and all different kinds too. Um, what I loved about your your cover of bicycling back in, was that, that was February, right? What I loved about that was it was this multi, somehow it still was multidisciplinary, even though it's all cycling. But I mean, the difference between, yeah, dirt jumping and fixed gear racing and road racing is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty different. It might as well be different sports in a lot of ways. I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, they all sort of similar enough that I felt like it was a kind of linear journey in a way, you know, going from one bike to the next um, they're all part of the same family, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And now it seems like you race a whole bunch of different things in one season now. So it's not just, okay, this season is all gravel or this season's all dirt jumping, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I like doing a bit of everything. I think I've got quite a short attention span. So um, <laughs> I like to have a lot of things on the go all at once. And I like dipping into this and that and trying stuff. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I would tend to say get more into one of them one particular year and then I might slightly go off it more than you know a bit the next year um and focus on something else you know like this year I I've got into gravel biking and I'm doing some gravel racing I wasn't doing that last year it's Mm -hmm. just um I I found you know I tried it and I really liked it so I was like well I'll do more of that and see how it goes Mm -hmm. so um yeah there's not any great thought behind it either it's just like that looks fun I'll try it I love that though um, and I mean, have you found that one discipline really like works best for you as far as, you know, racing success goes or are you kind of, you're just equally good at all of them? 
Um, I've always been really drawn to crits because they're short and really fast. And um, I found I found the format easy to understand, easy to get into. Um, it's quite easy to train for crits. Well, I mean, it's hard training, but like mm-hmm. you don't have to have an enormous amount of time because, you know, a crit can be just 45 minutes long. And then I just, I really, really like the intensity of it. It's so fast and so extreme and kind of, yeah, that's what um, I've always really enjoyed. But um, I have started doing longer format racing and now I'm like, actually, I really, really love that. So (laughs) I don't know. I have to ask with crits, how do you handle the final sprint? Because that's where I fail miserably. I can stay in a pack, no problem, but I don't have the... I don't have the guts to go for it in the, the final finishing sprint. It's it's hard. I mean, just sometimes I'm like that too. Sometimes, sometimes you just your nerves get the better of you, and you're like, "Is this really worth it? This is sketchy." Exactly. And then, you know, like that's happened to me before. That kind of happened to me in a road race when we were sprinting for the line on Sunday. I felt really bad about that later because I was like, damn it, I had the legs. I should have gone for Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, it's as much psychological as it is physical, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, My only advice would be just do more of it. Mm -hmm. Like the more you do, the easier it gets. I remember just absolutely bricking it on the line of crits. Like I was so nervous. I was wearing a heart rate monitor and I was already in zone three, just standing on the line. I was Mm -hmm. so nervous. And then (laughs) just keep going back. And now I line up and it's like, you know, there's that thrill of excitement. I'm not just like stone cold sort of you know, just not even excited. But um, I'm not kind of, you know, totally freaking out and getting, you know, really, really nervous because it becomes more normal. Mm -hmm. So when you're, this is a terrible question because I know there's no normal week, but say you are home for the entire week. What does like an average training week look like for you now trying to kind of stay prepared for most of these different disciplines and, you know, with so many different races on the schedule? Um, I would do probably um, about 12 hours training. Um, I mean, it's different in summer and winter. Um, I would do more gym stuff in the winter and less in the summer. And then, but that's like, that's like my main training. That's like race training. Mm-hmm. Or any kind of mountain biking and stuff like that, that doesn't count. That's just, <laughs> that's just fun. So it doesn't count. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. I, I love that. Yeah. So I would do like 12 hour structured training that I have a coach and he sets me that. But um, mountain biking is not part of that. I just go and ride for fun. See, that's amazing because uh, so my husband is a coach and, you know, very often he's, you know, just yelling at clients to get their training in no matter what. So I think it, it's so great to hear. No, I just do that for fun. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of why we're doing it, right? Yeah, exactly. It is fun. Yeah. I mean, it it's not always a smart thing to do. Sometimes... I'm just totally exhausted because, um, you know, it's not really a rest day if you go out and ride your mountain bike, even if you're taking it easy. But, Mm -hmm. you know, this is this is the way I like living my life. And if it means that I'm not as good in a bike race, but I had a really awesome day out with my friends, well, I'm going to go out riding with my friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw you do you do CrossFit, right? Well, I mean, I only started about three weeks ago. Oh, okay. And, um, That's yeah, actually so great though. Cool Why? Yeah, Why? Yeah. How's it going? Tell me. Um, well, I just thought it sounded and looked fun. So I went along and my local CrossFit gym had like, um, you know, a, a month trial where you just pay the joining fee. So I thought I'd give it a go and I just immediately liked it, which is 
kind of why I didn't do it earlier because I was worried I was going to really like it and I'm <laughs> yeah I find it quite obsessive about things so I was like oh damn if I like that then that's another thing I've got to try and fit in mm-hmm. um so I'll, we'll, we'll see where I go with that I mean I really am short on time at the moment so for sure I, I won't be doing much more than once or twice a week with that um yeah because I just don't have the time or the energy <laughs> yeah Um, And I was going to get into this later, but this kind of flows very neatly into it. How has becoming a parent changed all of your training and stuff? Oh, well, obviously it's changed it a lot. Um, I mean, I'm very fortunate in that my husband um, is a bike racer too, and he's very understanding. And, you know, we um, support each other in our training and and racing and stuff. Um, Unfortunately, that means we don't really get to ride together at all anymore. But um, we do sort of arrange things so that we can both, train um we, we adopted our daughter and when she first um came home with us it was almost impossible to even ride outside and um we did a lot of turbo training and we were so 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 exhausted from becoming new parents mm-hmm. that you'd have you'd have thought that we didn't want to do the turbo training but actually that kind of kept us sane mm-hmm. um so i i enjoyed it and i was really really happy to carry on training throughout uh, you know that first year uh, and now things have settled down and um you know it's hard but we make it work we have less time and we're more tired and we don't do perfect training we just do as good as we can and we don't sweat it if we we can't do it we just we used to stress out about that more you know and now you know, if we couldn't do a perfect session and now it's just like, well, whatever, at least I did something. Yeah. And I think that's what really gets a lot of people or like catches them out and then they end up not training at all. Yeah. I think people think, you know, if you can't, if you can't do it properly or you can't do what your coach has told you to, then just not bother. It's a wasted day and get all down about it. I'm like, well, I'll just do something. And yeah, that's better than nothing. Yeah. And I mean, okay, so your your partner being a cyclist as well, how do you balance your racing and your season goals with his goals? Oh, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, I yeah. So I'll say like Peter and I, Peter's a bike racer and I just kind of jump to whatever discipline I'm feeling any given year. And cool. as a result, I like I end up only racing a couple times during the season because I'd rather have some free weekends or, you know, be at some of his races or have him at some of mine. And it's really yeah. hard to schedule it out when you have two people who want to race. It's super hard. I mean... I I kind of went ahead and booked in a few races first because, um, you know, I'm getting paid by sponsors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So Dave said, you know, you go ahead, you've got priority, select which races you want to do, and then I'll go in and fill in the ones I want to do, and we'll sort of figure it out that way. So that was very nice of him. Um, but, yeah, it hasn't totally worked out because, you know, races aren't all announced at the start of the season. Yeah. Things come in in dribs and drabs. So. Dave will get, I mean, he's sponsored by Marin Bikes. He races gravel for them. And he, he they, they'll invite him out to a really amazing sounding gravel race. And he'll be like, oh, I've been invited to this thing. And then he goes onto our shared calendar and he's like, oh, damn, you're already, mm-hmm. do, already doing whatever. And I'm like, oh, sorry. So it's really hard. But um, we try and, um, you know, have a bit of give and take. And um, there's some things that I absolutely have to do because, you know, I've, already agreed it with my sponsors but other stuff I'm like well okay you you do your race that weekend mm-hmm. and it seems like you also have made time for you know little family trips over the weekend that are you know you went camping the other weekend which I think is oh, yeah. so yeah. much fun Ugh. 
That oh would my be god, amazing. so good. Yeah, it was our first camping trip together. Well, actually, no, our first one was just a couple of nights, but this was like um, with all our other family members, you know, um, Nana and Granddad and all that kind of thing. And it was oh my god, it was so good. And um, she took her little bike with her, and just all she wanted to do was ride her bike as well. It's so funny. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That's that's great. Actually, any tips for parents who are in that like teaching their kid to ride a bike stage of life? Well, um, all we did was we just left her balance bike lying around, and we thought, well, if she wants to pick it up, she'll pick it up. We don't want to make her ride it or any of that, you know. It's like, and and she really favoured her scooter initially, but um, <laughs> we left this balance bike <laughs> lying around, and then she's so. Um, She's just surrounded by bikes, I suppose. So it seemed natural to her to pick it up, I suppose. But what really, really changed everything was we took her to this family bike festival um, at Dart River Country Park. It's down the road where I live in Devon. And they'd done this family bike festival where they had all different disciplines of cycling. And they had talks and demonstrations and bikes you could borrow. And um, they put on a mini race for her and her little mates on their balance bikes. Oh. And they loved it. And... Ever since then, all she's wanted to do is ride her bike. Oh, I've seen so, some of those yeah. Strider races. And oh my gosh, have you seen like the championship oh, yeah. ones? I've seen the crazy ones. Ours was nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my advice would be just kind of like, yeah, uh, almost don't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like take them out on your bike when they want to go out. But for sure, don't try and like force it because I, I think that kind of thing backfires with kids. Um, but yeah. Now, absolutely, anytime she wants to go out, we're like, yep, let's go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we've talked about, you've mentioned gravel a few times. I was wondering, do you have any, I kind of wanted to hit you up for some some quick hit tips on all of the different cycling disciplines that you've raced in, because I mean, it's pretty much every event and I would love to hear. (laughs) So why don't we start with gravel? Any, Any tips that come immediately to mind when it comes to racing gravel, whether you've done it once or you've done it a bunch of times? Um... I suppose because I ride mountain bikes, I've got a bit of an advantage on the technical section. So I would say my biggest tip with those is um, to just allow your bike to roll through the techie bits and don't kind of fight it, mm-hmm. um, particularly when you're descending. I think people like really, really tense up and then um, straighten their arms. Mm-hmm. You need to kind of stay relaxed and look ahead. Don't look down. That's like the worst thing you can do. Don't look down at those horrible scary rocks you're trying to roll over just look ahead look at the trail and try and relax i love that yeah um and did i see you're doing a bike packing race next yeah um, we're about to fly to tuscany and i'm doing tuscany trail which is um it's like an off-road gravel we're riding gravel bikes but it was initially a mountain bike event but my friends and I looked at we looked at the terrain and decided we'd be better off on gravel bikes so yeah it's like an unsupported sort of point to point race 530k through Tuscany amazing how are you prepping for that um well I mean I've tried to do some longer rides but obviously that's hard because you know family life and work um so my coach has been putting in some um uh sort of back harder back-to-back rides mm-hmm. and um some longer um intervals in those rides and stuff so whereas previously you know he might have got me on a rest day straight after a race now if I've raced the next day I'm back out and I'm riding you know like three hours or whatever mm-hmm. um, have so, you uh, have you put like uh the panniers on your bike or on your bike yet or 
Uh, yeah, well, I rode it in um, California. I went out there and we went bike packing in uh, around California in Los Padres National Forest. Oh, such a good area. Yeah, man, it was so good. So um, I've already ridden this, that setup, but I'm not going to take half as much stuff. I mean, it's going to be a lot warmer. And um, I mean, we're all also thinking we're probably just maybe stay in B&Bs. I don't know. The thing is, we're trying to decide, do we want to go like, super fast and super lightweight in mm-hmm. which case we can just take a credit card and stay in a and b or do we take the tent and all that shenanigans that'll slow us right down but then we're like camping out mm-hmm. i don't know yeah it's definitely a tough call we've we've talked about that a bunch of times because we're both intrigued by bike packing but then when you actually start thinking about how much stuff you need to camp yeah it's so much stuff yeah for um, sure i did a i did a bike packing trip a year ago and I did the dumbest thing in the world of like, I overpacked the crap out of my bike. And then as, oh, soon as, no. as soon as we get the first tiny hill, it was like a group of people who weren't really cyclists. I was feeling like super pro and, oh, I've totally got this. We hit the first hill. I stand up to pedal. <laughs> Instant wipeout. Oh, like, no. Oh, my gosh. You know, cut my like shorts open. Just, oh, dear. Oh, it was awful. And it was just, Yeah. So that's that's my bike packing tip is don't don't stand up on hills. <laughs> don't overpack and don't stand up. Yeah, I mean the first bike packing trip that my husband and I went on in Japan, oh my god, we had so much stuff. I couldn't pick up my bike not at all oh, and yeah. um we just, you know, I had like five changes of clothes or something, which mm-hmm. is just mad. never do that now. Um but, you know, you refine it as you go along. I'll, I'll probably overdo it and go entirely the other way on this trip and just have nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Freezing and, and hungry. But, yeah, I, I, it's good fun figuring things out like that. And uh, I don't think anyone ever gets it quite right. So it's always a learning process. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've also done a bunch of multi-day events, whether it's mountain bike or road or stuff like that. Any tips for yeah getting through the longer, you know, three, four day type stages? Um, well, <laughs> this is probably a bit of a weird tip, but I don't like to um, really know too much about what's coming up because I, love I don't it. get. I love it. <laughs> like, but it puts you off, you know. Like the the mountain bike race I did in in Iceland, it was so hard. And if I'd have truly known how hard each day was going to be, I would have been really scared. I mean, I probably wouldn't have even done it or tried. I just I think sometimes it's better to just go into it sort of wide-eyed and innocent and just think, oh, let's see what this is like. And, you know, take it basically just take each day as it comes. That's my main tip. And then the other one is just remember that everyone else is hurting too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you always think, oh, this is so hard or I'm really slow or I'm, you know, in so much pain and those people are just flying. It's, that's rarely the case. Generally, everyone else, everyone else is tired too. You know, we're all human. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely seen, yeah, like, you don't really see the pros limping around unless you kind of look and, you know, pay close attention and you see them back by their tents looking completely (laughs) exhausted. They're just really good at faking it at, you know, the dinners and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, what about mountain biking in general? What's what's your best tip for that? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it'll go back to the gravel biking tip where I'm saying about the technical sections. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just all about staying relaxed and loose, moving around with the bike, try not to be too rigid, look where you want to go, don't look down. You want your weight back, not too far back. 
and um yeah i guess i guess that's that's about it and um you know just build up progress slowly i remember when dave and i first started there's this um my local bike park scadson freeride park we went there and we were looking at this drop and i've still got this gopro footage actually somewhere on a hard drive we're looking at this drop and we were like dave was like oh i don't know should we do it i was like Ooh, oh i don't know it is quite big and I look at it and, oh, my God, it's so small now. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I'd be doing the stuff that I'm doing now. But um, I think you just sort of build your way up to it. And before you notice it, you're there. So, yeah, just sort of start off small, build your way up to it. Never say never because at some point you'll probably, you'll probably do it. And, um, yeah, it's fun making progress. Yeah. So the jump from, like, fixed gear racing to road or even cyclocross, like, those are pretty – like, that's a pretty common jump. But – yeah. What made you decide to start adding all of these other bike things to your repertoire? What makes you be like, today's the day I'm going to mountain bike. Figure this out. Oh, I'm just, I'm just naturally curious. I think I, I just, I just like giving things a go. And I think, you know, I might really like that. That might be really fun or I might be good at that. I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm curious and I enjoy trying things. I've never been scared of trying stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's just the way I was brought up. Um, I was exposed to a lot of lot of cool experiences. You know, we travelled a lot. I did a lot of different sports and things like that. So I think you know, my parents just brought me up to be sort of curious and and not scared of of trying new stuff. Mm-hmm. Were there any sports that you were just like, nope, this is not for me? Other than the team sports, as previously <laughs> discussed. Uh, well, it's not really a sport, but I hate bowling. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. You're just so bad at it. You know what? The sports where I'm like, no, this isn't for me. Anything that I'm not not very good at. Like, if I try something and I'm not very good at it, I'm like, nah, I don't like that. <laughs> I think that's totally, totally fair and reasonable. Um, so you, I mean, a lot of these races are, you know, Italy, Iceland, all of this, California. So you're traveling a ton. How, how do you handle traveling for these races and showing up and not being completely exhausted or jet lagged or, you know, you forgot to pack your bike somehow or, you know, you forgot a chamois or anything like that? Travel tips. Well, it's really hard, but um, firstly, I probably am actually really exhausted and jet lagged, but I mean, you're there, you've just got to get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of other tips, well, I I have I just have to write a list. I have to, um, I get my list on the go about a week before the event, because as I go through the week, I'll remember other things that I haven't got, and I just put it on my list. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I just literally always do this. I'm doing it now for the trip that I'm going on in Tuscany. So when it comes to the day that I actually have to pack, all those things that I would have forgotten, because I would have, <laughs> I've remembered because I've had the whole week to go, oh, damn, my, my Wahoo or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do in order to make sure I have everything. Um, because, yeah, otherwise it's just I, I panic and I, I make mistakes and I am always tired and slightly disorganized. I like I try very hard to be organized, but I am quite disorganized. <laughs> I think that's that's the struggle of pretty much any bike racer. It's very hard to yeah. keep all all of that gear in any kind of real order, especially when you're unpacking and breaking yeah. apart your bike and all of that. I mean, the thing is as well, we've our house is small, like so. I, ideally, I would have like a really organized system of all my mountain bike stuff here, mm-hmm. all my cyclocross stuff there, all my road stuff there, and it would be so easy. I could just go straight to that drawer or that cabinet or whatever and. That would be really, really nice, but you know, it's not like that. Stuff's just everywhere. 
I remember probably 10 years ago now seeing a, a post or a picture of Georgia Gould's like nutrition cabinet. And it was yeah. the most beautifully organized. She had a label maker and had everything. Wow. Like, and I was just like, this is the person that I want to be. I am I not. I aspire to that too. <laughs> I aspire to that kind of thing. You know, I'm actually a bit of a neat freak with a really terribly, terribly messy house. I have to try and let it go. I yep. want to be neat. Inside me, there's a neat person. Yep, exactly, exactly. He's laughing. He doesn't think I'm neat. I want to be neat. (laughs) You and I are kind of the same person in that aspect. And you know what? Honestly, when Peter is gone for like a week or something, he comes back and the house is spotless because it's just been me and I can arrange everything exactly so and only be doing my my stuff moves and that's it. Yeah, yeah, same. When you have a couple people in the house, suddenly. (laughs) Yeah, and then add in a kid. Oh jeez! I honestly, I can't even, I can't even fathom. I every time I hang out with my parent friends, I'm just like, you guys are saints and amazing humans, <laughs> and uh, like honestly, I'm I'm shocked when peop- my my female mom friends in this town get up at like four in the morning to do their runs, and they all meet up and stuff. I've shown up like twice, and I'm like, I can't do it. I'm <laughs> I'm not as strong as you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. In terms of travel, too, you've you've written a bunch about nutrition and what you do personally. How do you handle nutrition when you're on the road so much? Uh, lots of peanut butter, mainly. Yes. Um, yeah, there's certain certain go-to foods that I gravitate towards, um, and um, I just have to do as best as I can. You know, mm-hmm. it's like going back to what I was saying earlier about you know not getting annoyed if your workout's not perfect. It, it doesn't have to be perfect as long as you're eating largely good stuff um then then that's fine so um yeah i mean i do i do always take peanut butter and tea bags because you can always get some bread and bananas mm-hmm. so that's something decent. i normally take oatmeal as well um then obviously i'll have some bars or whatever um and um yeah i just try and like get in some veggies when i can and i do my best that's about it really mm-hmm. i love bringing tea bags i always have one in my purse it's amazing oh, yeah. how useful they are <laughs> really is good yeah it makes everything seem okay when yeah a nice cup of tea exactly <laughs> yeah when you're in a hotel room after like a really long day oh yeah just, it's the best oh so much nicer yeah um and I mean on that on that topic of nutrition do you have a an overarching like food philosophy I'm gonna call it I so I wrote a cycling nutrition book a few years ago and I'd interviewed a bunch of pros for it and what I found really fascinating was for the most part, all of them had sort of the same food philosophy, whether they were vegan or gluten-free or antihistamine or whatever that came down to eating, you know, a lot of real whole foods during the day and then, you know, timing their carbs and sugary stuff around their training. And that was pretty much it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I like cooking from scratch. So just by doing that, you're eating um, much better, you know. I, mm-hmm. We don't eat ready meals. Like, I mean, actually, we had a pizza last night. <laughs> Normally, we don't, eat, we don't eat ready meals very often. Um, and, you know, I cook everything from scratch. So it's healthy by default, really. And I crave lo- vegetables. And it, I, I just have a naturally healthy appetite. That's what I love and what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I was going to go to the supermarket and buy my favorite foods, it would be like spinach, kale, beetroot, feta cheese, eggs brown bread like everything I like is it's not hard for me to eat well mm-hmm. um but um I also like ice cream and, and chocolate and stuff too so it's not like I'm sort of 
I'm not strict. It's just um, I naturally tend towards the healthy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, with sweet and carb-heavy carb stuff, obviously I need that for training. So I make sure I get lots of that. Obviously, I need protein too. So, yeah, it's just about a healthy, balanced diet, really. It's nothing special. People often ask me about my diet. And um, someone asked me I'd make, if I'd make a video about, you know, how and what I shop. And um, I was like, yes, yeah, I mean, I can. But it's just it's just pretty ordinary food, really. So, yeah, I think that's the best idea. Yeah. I'm now really hoping that you do a GoPro video, like, with, like, a helmet mount cam in the grocery yeah. store, just of your yeah, cart the whole that. time. That would be amazing. <laughs> I would watch that. I love that oh. kind of stuff. So please do that. Um, okay. On the topic of, like, making meals at home, you know, so many people I know and so many of Peter's clients are always saying, like, it's really hard to cook at home. But, I mean... We are very big on the one-pan meal. Ours are yeah. very, very boring. Um, do you have any, like, this is what we go to on a night when we just don't have time to do anything fancy? Um, yeah, I mean, we eat a lot of these. I don't know if you have them in America. It's like a kind of ready-made pouch of quinoa and brown rice, and you just bung it in the microwave. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, um, so I would just heat up some quinoa and brown rice and then I would have that with black beans with like um, tomato paste, the smoked paprika and garlic and stuff. You can literally just whiz that up as well about a minute in the microwave. Add some avocado, some raw spinach and squeeze over some lime, something like that. I mean, literally, that's why I always sigh and roll my eyes when people say they haven't got time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, seriously, it takes like two minutes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we're big on, we'll just, you know, throw, we have, we bought like a half cow earlier in the year. So we have tons of ground beef. We just throw a chunk of that in the oven with, you know, chopped up potatoes, throw a ton of vegetables just on the stove on like low, just walk away for an hour, come back and boom, meal. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't have to be complicated. Exactly. Um, so this this one topic I wanted to touch on because I'm obsessed with these kind of things. Are there any like daily rituals in terms of, I don't know, meditation, core work, anything like that that you've stuck with for a long time? And I'll start by saying in the Bicycling Magazine cover story, it opens with like a visual of you sitting down once a week with your weekly planner. Is, yeah, that, is that still a thing? Yeah, yeah, fully. That's still a thing. Um, and I kind of, um, sorry, one second. Oh, I can't, sorry, it's- let me go back to stop. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely a thing. Yeah, I sit down um, on a Sunday and I have my um, planner and I kind of have blocks of time that I block out, you know. So um, obviously my daughter's very young. She's still having naps and stuff and she goes to nursery. So I would schedule in um, indoor training maybe during her nap and then, you know, I would have in the afternoon that we, we're hanging out or whatever and then I would fit in some work in the block after she's gone to bed things like that so I do go through that and I figure out exactly when I can do stuff and I don't always stick to it because you know life Mm -hmm. but um I have a vague plan and then I kind of sound things out with my husband as well so that he can get in the rides that he needs to do and his work as well um in terms of daily rituals well um not yet no (laughs) um but we're listening to some podcasts recently that made me think that I would quite like to develop some um uh you know I mean, just on a basic note, I, I don't take my – I've started not taking my phone into the bedroom at night mm-hmm. um, because I think that's really helpful in terms of switching off and not farting around looking at rubbish on 
on the internet and disrupting your sleep. And also I think it's really nice not to just reach for it in the morning when you wake up. So that, mm-hmm. that's a new habit. Um, the meditation thing, I'd actually quite like to start doing that. But then I thought to myself, it's going to be an added stress worrying about whether I can fit that in and yep. when I'm going to fit it in. And that's going to be detrimental rather than beneficial. So, um, no, that's about it for me. Yeah. No, I'm the same way with meditation. I actually tried to keep it on my daily to-do list for a month, but I found I was just getting really upset whenever I didn't do it. So yeah, at the moment, it's just not It's just not there. Um, so I thought this was, this was an interesting one. The World Health Organization just, I think it was yesterday, said that burnout is officially like a medically recognized condition. Um, at the moment, it seems like you've managed to avoid that, even though, you know, you said in the bicycling piece, I thrive on being busy. That's how I work best. I mean, that's how we started this conversation. How have you avoided the whole burnout thing? Well, um, for sure, I get exhausted. But I mean, burnout to me is, is, is not just tiredness. It's sort of, uh, there's more to it than that. And I think mm-hmm. the, the difference with me is that I really, really, really love what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that helps. Um, uh, I, I mean, but I do get really tired and then I just have to like drop everything and just rest up. Like that happened at the weekend. I was meant to go and watch this bike race that Dave was doing and I had all these other plans and I was just like, I'm tired. I'm going to do the sensible thing. And I went and got a hotel room and I spent the day well it's not the day if only I spent the evening um in bed with my legs up um catching up on some emails and stuff so you know still working but you know like resting up a little bit mm-hmm. and um that's that's a bit of a new thing for me uh before I would have just gone to the bike race mm-hmm. had some beers and cheered Dave on but I, I did the sensible thing this weekend I think that's maybe because um I very rarely get to um drop everything and have a break because I I have a daughter now mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you're still putting out very consistent content. I mean, that alone, because I know what goes into making the videos that you make. How how do you manage balancing that with all everything else? Um, well, I just do my best, really. Like, um, if, if I want to have a week off, I'll just have a week off. Um, and, you know, if I'm feeling really stressed, then I will just, yeah, I'll just have some time off. At the end of the day, I'm my own boss, so I can do that. I have certain obligations, but they tend to be, um, you know, like obligations to uh, sponsors that I work for work with. That would be um, as long as I'm fulfilling them largely over the year. It's mm-hmm. not going to matter if I have a few days off and don't do anything. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm quite lucky in that respect. Um, and then I try to be organised as well. So if I've got deadlines, I get everything prepared way in advance and I have it all set up and ready to go. So that makes things a lot less stressful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you've been, you know, celebrated as, you know, one of the top female YouTubers in general, YouTube cyclists, certainly. Any tips for someone who's like, I should start a YouTube channel? I would say just get doing it. The best thing you can do is actually just start putting out content. And whilst you're doing it, you, you figure out what it is you want to do. You figure out what works and you figure out what your voice is or your style and um yeah i think consistency is really good just keep plugging away at it mm-hmm. and um the other advice i would give is it's really cheesy but only you can do you so like the best <laughs> thing about you is is you and your uniqueness and that's what people will will want to see you know so um don't try and be anything except yourself and um yeah that's what i would do 
I love that. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to ask you about is obviously, you know, the Shred Girls series and website are such big things for me right now. So I'm always, every time I talk to a, a rad female cyclist, I'm always like, what are your best tips for young girls who, you know, might want to get into cycling, but don't have any other girls to ride with at the moment or just, you know, don't see themselves doing it? Um, I would say uh, social media, you know, like people often vilify it, but it's actually really awesome if you're looking for other girls to do stuff with. Some mm-hmm. of the mountain bike friends that I ride with, we connected through social media. One one girl, my friend Laura, she saw that we kept riding the same um, same place on Strava and she just sent me a message saying, hey, I saw that you ride um, this downhill place. Do you, do you want to ride together next time? I was like, yeah, cool. And Facebook has, you know, different groups and stuff like that. So I would say have a look and see if you can find any groups that are local to your area. Mm -hmm. There always are. There always are, you know, mountain bike groups or road groups or whatever. Mm -hmm. If there aren't groups, start one, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And, yeah, just try and connect with other people in in your area. In um, In my experience, all nearly all other women and girls want other females to ride with they all do we all want more women to ride with mm-hmm. um so i think you know it, it, it it's you don't, don't don't need to be intimidated about turning up to a ride with a bunch of women you've not met before because nearly every time they really really want you to be there and they're excited to meet you and ride with you yes a hundred percent yes it's always the coolest when I, you know, get to ride with these, you know, young teenage girls and just see them meeting each other for the first time a lot of the times and seeing those connections get made and just seeing, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, there are other girls around me that actually ride and it's a game changer. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just think it would be, wouldn't it be great if there were more more female role models for, for them to see, more visibility? I think that, that's what we need to change to make a real difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's part of why I started the Shred Girl site is to get more of these like real life Shred Girl stories out. So yeah. there is a place yeah. where they can see them because, yeah, I mean, so much of the so many bike publications are, you know, pretty, pretty male focused, we'll say. Oh, big time. And yeah, yeah, the sports pages, I just sort of sigh every time I open them up. It's just literally nothing but men. You're like, seriously, still? Like, <laughs> it's 2019. Progress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I mean, at least bicycling, I finally put uh, put more women on the cover. And, you know, yeah, your cover was awesome. I mean, that, yeah, I, I was so nice to read that issue that I was on the cover of. It was just so so many women and it wasn't a women's issue mm-hmm. it was just a bike magazine and it's like well of course there are women in it yeah exactly yeah that was cool yeah and plus i mean it, you know the problem is like whenever you call it a women's issue it's like yeah that's all well and good but you know i mean a we're we're in the sport all year round and then b exactly. you know there's plenty of men that are like oh it's the women's issue yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so, like, why does it have to be a special issue so we're allowed in it Do yeah you know what exactly I mean? <laughs> Exactly. Awesome. Well, I think that that's pretty much all of the the questions I had for you, but tell everyone where they can follow you if they're not already, because if they're not, they definitely should be. Oh, thanks. Sure. Well, um, I'm on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash Juliet Elliott. And I'm on Twitter. I think it's underscore Juliet Elliott. YouTube is Juliet Elliott's channel bit complicated they're all different and then uh, you can you can find my blog at bikes and stuff bikes and stuff.com it's bikes hyphen 
hyphenstuff.com. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should go ahead and buy my own URL. I don't know. But I've had that for so long now. I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have yeah, the same so thing. With, me in, I have the same thing with Shred Girls, too, because it's shred-girls.com. And I, I always feel yeah. silly saying it, but... I mean, it would have been thousands of dollars it's to not really buy the... fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bikes, hyphen, stuff. I love it. Bikes and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time to chat. This was awesome. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind the scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone and it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.